3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I've been with my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer and be nice. Is the market wrong? I mean... That's how I felt today. That it might be wrong. After day were the averages started weak, only recover. Dow ultimately gaining 69 points as it be climbing 0.35 percent. Nasdaq rising 0.56 percent. We gotta wonder if the buyers are simply stooges. Are they ignoring headlines like "Fallout Deepens After U.S. Strike"? That was the Wall Street Journal. Or "Standoff Builds as Iran Drops Nuclear Limits"? That was from the New York Times. And they were these headlines were as long, wide as you can get. Have we forgotten that Iran vowed to get revenge for the assassination of its terror mastermind, General Qasem Soleimani? Are we whistling past the graveyard of their inevitable retaliation? I mean, it, it just sure feels that way. Just a short 12 hours ago, the S&P futures were looking down 1%, a continuation of last Friday's sell-off on news of the Trump's administration escalation. Then we rallied hard off the lows, including more than 200-point Dow Jones deficit. What a comeback. What's going on here? All right. Look, I'm willing to suspend my belief that perhaps uh, the market's wrong and give you some ideas because there could be many different forces at work. First, investors have learned that these kinds of events tend to be buying opportunities. Since President Trump took office, we've actually had three conflict-related sell-offs. While they may have seemed disturbing at the time, they were all moments to buy, not to sell. In the late summer of 2017, it looked like we might be on the brink of war with North Korea, especially after Trump called uh, Kim Jong-un, little rocket man, at the U.N. tweeted about fire and fury in the wake of those provocations. The S&P lost 3% of its value from August 8th through August 21st. But that turned out to be a fabulous buying opportunity, as the S&P proceeded to rally 10% from those lows as the tensions receded. Instead of war with North Korea, and we got tax reform. Second, in April of 2018, our government fired more than 100 missiles at a Syrian airfield in response to a suspected chemical attack perpetrated by the Assad regime. The futures plunged on the night of the airstrike, but it had absolutely zero impact on the actual stock market. In fact, the S&P rallied for the next three sessions after the launch. Finally, don't forget, we just had a big confrontation with Iran in September. The Iranians attacked and wiped out a huge chunk of Saudi Arabia's oil infrastructure in a ridiculously belligerent act of terrorism. Once again, though, there was enormous concern that we would retaliate against Iran because Saudi Arabia is a close U.S. ally. But the stock market barely responded. The averages got hit the next trading day. Okay, kind of like Friday, right? The damage was recouped the day after that, kind of like today. So it's entirely possible that Friday's decline and this morning's temporary sell-off represent the market's typical reaction to heightened geopolitical tensions. If this turns out to be like the last few conflicts that I just showed you, then history says, well, you needed to buy when things were most ugly, which would have been this morning. Much of the media is acting like this assassination is effectively a declaration of war. They make it sound like a ground war is inevitable. I I don't want to be glib about this. Taking out uh, Soleimani was a big deal. Iran restarting its nuclear program is a big deal, but the situation is in flux and de-escalation is a real possibility. That's how you get a situation where the stock market's uh, attitude is less World War III and more what me worry. The second reason stocks were able to rebound today, guess what? A rally's not necessarily out of singular preparations for war. Historically, stocks often go higher when the cannons go off. I thought most investors would actually wait for the actual cannons, but maybe the assassination was cannon enough. Third, hyperbole. Regardless of how you feel about Trump, most traditional media outlets love to hate the guy. As someone in the news business, most of the articles I read made this story sound like Apocalypse Now. That's the kind of sensationalism that drives eyeballs. But that mar- the market didn't buy it. At least not today. Of course, if a ram retaliates hard, today's buyers will turn out to be dead wrong. However, I think it's worth entertaining the possibility that they might be right. Again, remember what I'm trying to do. I'm try- trying to recalibrate my negativity. Fourth positive. There is an amazing number of stocks that thrive when interest rates fall, which they did. And while they bounced a bit today, these stocks had fallen hard since last week. From companies with big dividends to ultra-fast growers, lower rates translate into a lot of winners. And that's why most of the drug stocks rallied. They're all higher-yielding dividend names with zero economic sensitivity. Exactly what you need if you're worried a business will take a hit from a possible war. Some of these tech stocks perform well when the economy slows. So RBC put out a recommendation urging people to buy Salesforce. you know what? The stock was up more than $7, 4.4%. And that's an amazing move. Salesforce is a $154 billion company, for heaven's sake. Meanwhile, Apple caught two price target boosts, allowing its stock to advance a couple of bucks. You know there was a downgrade too; no one even paid attention to it. Anything that's good for Apple is good for a whole host of semiconductor stocks that makes iPhone components. On top of that, a small outfit called Pivotal. Recommended Alphabet, pushing that stock up $36 or 2.7%. Alphabet's the parent of Google. You better believe it's got legs. That strength boosted Amazon, Twilio, Spotify, and a host of other fast growers that most likely won't experience a slowdown from any kind of escalation in the Middle East. At the same time, there were no downgrades of substance today. And, uh, well, let's just say we're about to hear from some very, very good companies. It's CES. That's the annual consumer electronics show that carries far more weight for the NASDAQ than anything Iran might be contemplating. Fifth, there's the political aspect. When it comes to the Democratic Party in the primary The prospect of war puts foreign policy experience center stage. That could be a real boost for Joe Biden's campaign. And remember, the stock market desperately wants a Trump Biden contest because Biden doesn't scare away, uh, scare Wall Street the way, let's say, uh, Senator Warren or Senator Sanders do. Finally, six. We've heard it all before. It's not like we were on good terms with Iran a week ago. Those death to America chance, well, they aren't anything new. The Iranians didn't suddenly take over uh, in Iraq. That's been the case for years. The only big change here is that Iran restarted its nuclear program. But to a lot of people, that seemed inevitable anyway, even before our government pulled out of the nuclear deal. And of course, there are always some people who say they restarted a long time ago. Personally, I'm a little incredulous about today's move. The market is overbought. There's way too much complacency, way too much greed, not enough fear. It's too darn pat, especially in the face of, an, of earnings season about to begin, although a weaker dollar could give the multinational stocks that report early a nice boost. My view, I think today's buyers, I, let's just say, I think they're being a little too glib. We have no idea what Iran's going to do, but they seem pretty darn resolute. Seems irresponsible to bet that they, they'll just let this thing go. However, the tech stocks say I'm wrong. The dividend stocks say I'm wrong. The slowdown stocks say I'm wrong. That's a whole lot of wrong to take in. The bottom line, the market's rebound today may not be as crazy as it looks. Every other time we've had major conflict under the Trump administration, it's been a buying opportunity. But you know what? I'm still recommending proceeding with caution, at least until we get a clear sense of Iran's next move. Let's go to Michael in Georgia. Michael. Hey, Jim,
4: I'm calling about my sprint stock and the upcoming merger with T Mobile. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking beating because some people fear that the merger will not go through. And I wanted to know if I should buy more, hold on to what I got, or sell.
3: Well, look, I am a big believer that T Mobile goes up in either scenario, although I, we'll miss John Ledger. So you have to understand that the one to buy is T Mobile. Business is very good there. Let's go to Mike in Ohio. Mike.
5: Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of
3: course, Mike. What's going on?
2: I love the show. I enjoy listening to you, and I've read your books, too. Thanks for everything, Ah, you're do.
3: very kind. Thank you.
2: So uh, I've owned Caterpillar for a little while now, and I have an average basis of 133. And the stock is near its 52-week high, but it's 10 to 15% away from its all-time high. I love the company. I like and I like how it's even. It, I like it better now that it's uh, the trade tensions have eased up. Right. And the uh, the balance sheet seems to be favorable and also pays a nice dividend of about three percent. However, it seems to be developing a slightly less favorable peg ratio of one point five or so. And as you know, peg ratio is of course subject to a concrete earnings forecast. Correct. With that. With that said, I wanted to get your thoughts on where you think the stock is headed. I want you to take a little
3: off the table. I mean, it's still cheap at 13 times earnings. Just take a little off the table and be ready for a quick decline on a sell-the-news basis on a Chinese deal. Let's go to Bob in New York. Bob.
4: Hey, Jim. uh, With a dividend of over 9%, but being in the airline, airline services industry, is this company at any risk due to the Iranian crisis? Or is it a business that is indispensable? And In that company is Macquarie.
3: Yeah, you know what? I still think that that 9% yield is a red flag. You're absolutely right. It's done quite well. A lot of the infrastructure stocks away from that have not done well. I'm sorry that I'm going to have to say, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy. Right, we have no idea what Iran's going to do. I recommend proceeding with some caution until we do. I got a conference called Wednesday for a club members of ActionListBus.com. And, you know, we, we're kind of sitting on our hands. Feel better about that. Well, Man Money tonight, with everybody snapping selfies, it's more important than ever to feel good and look good. So could a stock like Planet Fitness get your portfolio into shape in the new year? I'm going to sit down with the CEO. Then, while escalating tensions in the Middle East derailed the stock market's strong start in 2020, some sectors are rising on the news. I'll tell you if it's time to eye the defense stocks. And with news that Axon, the manufacturer of Taser stun guns and body cameras, is suing the FTC... Wondering what your next move would be with the stock? It got hammered today. So I'm going to talk to the CEO. Stay with Kramer. Don't
5: miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something?
0: engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad Just go to Indeed.com slash mad right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
5: You've rung in the new year. Now is 2020 the time to work out a new you. This planet has a great atmosphere for gym rats and weekend warriors alike. After an
3: autumn fall, can Planet Fitness puts a muscle on your portfolio. It's New Year's resolution time. At the beginning of every year, millions of Americans vow to get in better shape, including yours truly. This is the kind of thing that's too predictable to depend on directly. Everybody knows it's coming, but it makes me wonder what's up with Planet Fitness, the rapidly growing gym chain. This stock is a long-time Kramer fave. Planet Fitness has built out a network of 2,000 mostly franchised locations, judgment-free ethos that encourages new people to sign up. That's translated into some remarkable numbers. The company had 7.9% same store sales growth in its most recent quarter. That is fantastic. And the stock roughly tripled since I started recommending it in August of 2017. However, Planet Fitness peaked over the summer. Growth stocks went out of style on the Wall Street Fashion Show. And even though it's regained most of that lost ground, it's still down more than six bucks from its high. So could this be a good buying opportunity? Let's check in with Chris Rondo. He's the CEO of Planet Fitness. Get a better read on where his company's headed. Mr. Rondo, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Chris. Have a seat. Good to see you. All right. What can you get for 20 cents in this country? 20 cents? Not much. How about you could join Planet Fitness. I was say, how about
4: now on January 9th Yeah, hey, Planet Fitness? Yeah, join Planet Fitness and $10 a month. Now how is that possible? Yeah, we do it for a long time and uh, you know we make it up uh, in a lot of efficiencies in our model. Right. And
3: catering to the casual first timer or it allows us to drive a lot of volume and get people off the couch. Now uh, the judgment free analysis is what I always like. There's another company mm. called Peloton, and I look at their uh, I look at their commercials. And I know I'll never be like that, and I feel very intimidated by them. Would I feel intimidated if I walked into a Planet Fitness? Absolutely not. We
4: have all shapes and sizes, eighteen to eighty, and in fact, almost forty percent of our members—almost fourteen million of them today—had never belonged to a gym in their entire life. So get them off the couch. Right. Then what is Bull Fit? <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. That's another yeah, thing cool. we're doing today. Is uh, you know we kicked it off in New Year's, and really what it that is and I've been saying it for for a long time here at Planet Fitness is that you know the whole industry and really society thinking that. Fitness is very complicated. You got to work out five, six days a week for 95 minutes, or, you know, hour and a half, or whatever. And it's, you know, it, it, people just don't even give it a shot because they already set themselves up to fail. Right. Who could commit that much time? So Forget true. about price points. Spending 2,500 bucks for a bike or 100 dollars a month for a gym membership. But you know, so we want to just break down the barriers of people working out and tell them, tell them like it is. Tell them the truth. If you work out once a week, you're better than if you did, didn't do it at all.
3: Now, you, it's a franchise model. The franchisees must be uh, pretty happy. I mean, if you wouldn't, yeah. you were at 1,800 last time we saw you. Now you're at 2,000. 2,000, yeah,
4: a yeah, big, big benchmark for us. I mean, it was uh, New Year's Eve. We hit the 2,000 mark. That was quite the celebration that night for all us, us all. And franchisees are super passionate about this brand. And, and uh, you know, just the beginning,
3: we have a potential for 4,000 in the States. Well, I believe that because every time I speak to a real estate investment trust that's remotely connected to retail, they always say, hey, listen. Don't give up on us. We have a plan of fitness. Mm-hmm. You seem to be the client of choice. Oh, absolutely. We drive about 5,000 workouts per
4: week per club. And the majority of those are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when most retailers aren't busy. So we drive a lot of traffic. And we did some studies that over about 25% of our uh, members said they'd never j- shopped at a, a tenant in that shopping center until they joined our club. I mean, that's incredible. Yes, yeah, so we drive good, now, good traffic.
3: Uh, I know this is, I, I'm a little overweight, okay? I'm not cool. where I was to, no, after the holiday, you know, sure. before the holiday season. No one is. <laughs> no, and that's the point. What I'm yeah. wondering is how much of the hangover at the end of the year inspires people to go to Planet Fitness?
4: Yeah, New Year's Eve is always a change for everybody in a lot of aspects, right? right? And getting in shape is a lot of a lot of it too, right? So that's why New Year's Eve and Times Square is a big kickoff for our big
3: January sale, and uh, we do a lot of volume in January, but really through April is a big time of year for us. Now I want people to know your background. I always say it. I right. know, yeah. but there's always new people, and your background is something I mention to people all the time about why I like Planet Fitness.
4: Yeah, I've been here. So this is our 28th year. I've been here for 27 years now. So from day one, so uh, 1993, I started. I work in the front desk, making 6 bucks an hour, and uh, never left.
3: I mean, But that's an unbelievable story. Yeah, because a, we don't have many CEOs who've you know. worked their way up, which is one of the reasons why I think your models so durable. You know every aspect.
4: Oh, I, you know, and until today, Jim, honestly, once a month I work in a club. Really? I work at the front desk, I talk to the staff, and I get more
3: ideas coming out of them than anywhere else. All right, one last question. I know it's not big, but uh, you opened in Australia. And mm-hmm. from what I can tell, it, it looks like Armageddon there. I mean, what's the story? Oh, with the fire up. We have two clubs open today. Um, Phenomenal
4: success so far with those two clubs. They're not affected by the fires yet. They're not. They're not. But the, um, you know, we have two U.S. franchisees who partnered together to go there and partnered with a fitness operator in Australia, which is why we
3: went there. Next. Okay. But to me, that seems like a template to be... I mean, all over the world, they need Planet Fitness.
4: Oh, absolutely. We learn more and more of that, even like the me- clubs in Mexico and Panama and so on and so forth in Canada. Um, you know, in, in Australia, 85% of the population doesn't have a gym membership. It's like it was in the U.S. in the 90s when we came right. up with this.
3: Right. Right. Well, I, you know, I think that... Uh, I do need your take on the incredible controversy involving Peloton. I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> oh, look, I mean, you have a person <laughs> sure. who, frankly, again, this is an intimidating mm-hmm. person to look at if you're someone my age, mm-hmm. and and wait, and, and it seems kind of odd that. Well, I'm going to let you tell the rest of this. Okay.
4: Story. You know, and it comes back to what we just talked about with you know, what the industry's done. Right. It has everybody thinking that you've got to work out six days a week, you know, two hours a day to get in shape, and you've got to lift truck tires, and you've got to spend thousands of dollars on a fitness apparatus, and you know something? Work out once or twice a week. And I think with the commercial and the, and the, the backlash they got, is, it's kind of back to that concept is what we hear a lot is I feel like I've got to get in shape before I join a gym. Right. Planet fitness is the answer to that. You know, come in, it's judgment free. If this is your first time. Give it a shot. Ten bucks a month. We'll teach you what to do. You know, and I think with that, it was more the fit, getting fitter, and that's what the industry is about. And I mean, great stat. Last year in 2018, for example, Ursa mentioned the industry opened 1,100 locations. We opened about a little over 200, about 20% of that. The industry added 1.6 million members. We added 1.8 million. So we 100% of industry growth. So the industry keeps adding more and more concepts. But they're not getting people off the couch. They keep splitting the same person in half.
3: They're not really getting people off the couch. Well, that's what my millennial friends say, which is they can also afford it. Yeah. You can't afford a lot of these other things. No, you're right, right. All right, that's Chris Rondo. He's the CEO of Planet Fitness. I hope you see why we've liked this one. To me, this is much more of a story about trying to be healthier, not trying to be the best-looking person in the world. Chris Rondo, CEO of Planet Fitness. Thank, thank, thank you, you so much.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business
3: Everywhere I went this weekend, people kept asking me for a war portfolio. How do they get in shape for what they see as the coming war with Iran? For these people, this long-simmering conflict has escalated past the point of no return. They think there's something to worry about, something big. I don't know if they're right. But war is obviously on the table. So in the interest of caution, let me give you my The World is a Dangerous Place portfolio, which reflects imminent conflict, including an attack by Iran on the United States, followed by some sort of retaliation. Maybe Iran closes the Strait of Hormuz. That handles 21 million barrels of oil per day. Maybe they launch a cyber attack. Maybe they use conventional weapons. This portfolio will work under any of those scenarios. First up, if you really believe we're headed for war, you need cash, a lot of cash. Now, you'll probably make next to nothing when you're a cashier. That's not the point. When I look at the value of treasuries, I like going out three years. If you expect the war to be more protracted, going out three years covers you. Of course, the opportunity cost is monstrous. Uh, Three year treasury notes only pay less than 1.6%. Interest rates now, when I, I you know, I got to tell you, yeah, high quality common stocks versus interest rates now, I like the quality, quality stocks. But that doesn't mean because cash is king in these situations. I mean, worst end to create buying opportunities and cash lets you take advantage of them. So this is the most important component of any portfolio in the world is a dangerous place category. Now, for those of you who want to avoid parking your cash in individual treasuries, I see money market funds getting a slightly better return than that. If you think that an actual shooting war with Iran is imminent, I recommend putting, get this, half of your capital in the cash. Half, regardless of your age group. Because that's a true wartime asset allocation. With such a huge cash position, you're going to be ready for anything. Second essential part of a war portfolio, gold. I prefer owning the bullion or the GLD. That's an ETF that tracks the price of the precious metal. But if you're really serious about war worries, bullion is safer than anything that trades on an exchange. And if you're really extremely paranoid, you know what you got to do? you got to hold it outside the United States, open a deposit box in a foreign country, and put it there. Extreme, I know, but world is a dangerous place. I see gold running from the 1560s to $2,000 in the event of an all-out war. But if owning gold directly feels too conservative for you, I've got a couple of stock-based alternatives, a value play and a growth play. On the value side, there's Barrick Gold, which is currently down more than two bucks from its highs. Barrick acquired the old Rand Gold, and the combined company is now run by Mark Bristow, Rand Gold's old CEO. I like Barrick because it's got tremendous assets, but the combined entity has only just begun to gel. Excellent cash flow, recently raised dividend. They're committed to producing strong returns for their shareholders, which is a little bit different from the old days. Mark Bristow's one of the best in the business, and he runs a very tight ship. Under his leadership, Barrick's divested some sacred cow mines, not profitable enough. And, and thanks to those moves, the company now has a stunningly clean balance sheet. All right, so maybe you want more of a growth gold miner? Well, the best of them is Agnico Eagle. Uh, that's run by Sean Boyd. Now, just like Bristol, he swears by this new gold model, making money for shareholders and returning it to them via dividends. Unlike Barrack, Agnico Eagle operates in a relatively safe location series of uh, Canada, Finland, northern Mexico. The company's been able to make a fortune with gold at lower prices. I can't wait to see how much they make now that they're higher. Oh, and the stock's currently off four points from its high, so I think it's completely legitimate to buy Agnico Eagle right here. Third component of a war portfolio, utilities. You want safety? Go with American Electric Power, the largest power transmission play in America, 3% yield. Con Ed's an asset light play. It doesn't produce electricity, just pass it on to customers, 3.4% yield. You've also got my blessing to buy Dominion, 4.5% yield. About a year ago, these guys acquired Scana, a southern utility with lots of synergies. That's why that yield's so high, though. I speak with these CEOs of these three utilities regularly. I like what I hear. Fourth, if Iran does, uh, let's say it closes the Strait of Hormuz, that's going to produce a big spike in oil prices. Although it might be short-lived because America producers, well, well, they'll eventually make up the difference, believe me. That U.S. capacity is the reason why the oil futures for the out years, so to speak, are down around 52, which is lower than the current $63 spot price. What's worth owning in the oil patch? Well, okay, here we go. First, there's the best oil service company, and that's Schlumberger SLB. They should have a lot of business with crude at higher prices because that should spur lots of new drilling in places that haven't replenished their fields in ages. That's typical country investment. Stocks support nearly 5% yield. CEOs committed to the dividend. Second, for a growth oil, how about Pioneer Natural? Run by the great Scott Sheffield, who's been a huge exploiter of the Permian Basin in Texas. Small uptick in crude makes oil from the Permian incredibly profitable. Plus, Pioneer's potential takeover target. 31 income, okay, that's BP. Solid dividend, 6.2% yield. Value, Conoco, which reported a much better than expected quarter and recently boosted its dividend by 38%. You might be busting to buy any or all there. only if, of course, you believe is, uh, that we're the world's dangerous place. The fifth component of a good war portfolio, obviously you need a defense contractor. Now, personally, I like L3 Harris. That's a combination of the old L3 and Harris run by the excellent Bill Brown. This company has an integrated mission systems business that's all about intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. It's also got a space and airborne division where they handle cyber Avionics, electronic warfare, precision engagement sensors, drones, and lots of aviation training. In short, L3 Harris makes exactly what our military needs to wage war in the Middle East. That's the one to buy, guys. That one. At twenty at two hundred and eleven dollars, you know what? The stock is only down about six bucks from a tie. But all these defense contractors have run a great deal. Not this one. If you believe we're headed for war, it is absolutely worth owning here. And in terms of The portfolio, it's probably the one that I would buy with or without a dangerous place going. That said, I can recommend Raytheon in Good Conscience. It's merged with United Technologies, which is then breaking itself up into three corporations. Uh, Once it's acquired, uh, Raytheon will no longer be a pure play on defense. Plus, I think it's rallied too much. Same goes for Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman and General Dynamics. Remember, Raytheon is going to split off with United Technologies uh, defense part, but that's going to take a long time. Finally, let's not forget cybersecurity. For that, we have CrowdStrike, which just came on the show last week and told us that it knows how to stop attacks from Iran. Unfortunately, the stock caught fire today, so you might want to wait for a pullback. Man, it was just strong. The bottom line, if we really get the conflagration that so many people seem to be expecting that I talk to, you have to be ready for the market to take a beating, at least in the short term. My, my portfolio for the world is a dangerous place, though. It should actually make you money. So if you think a genuine war with Iran is inevitable, You want cash, you want gold, utilities, oil, defense, and cybersecurity. And I bet that even in a time of turmoil related to war, this portfolio will work for you. Let's go to R.D. in Kentucky. R.D.
1: Booyah, baby. Hey, Kramer, I'm looking at silver as a precious metal. I've always liked it. I wonder how much of it should I invest in my portfolio. Well,
3: I I'm not anything. a silver guy because there's industrial uses. I'm a gold guy. I've been a gold guy since the show started. I like the GLD. I like a couple of gold stocks. I cannot in good conscience recommend silver. It's never been what I'm into. Let's go to Robert in Oregon. Robert. Yes.
0: Good afternoon.
3: Good afternoon, uh, Robert. My qu- Great. My question today is... Um, my siblings and I inherited some stock this year in Aerojet Rocketdyne when our parents passed away, and I'm looking to maybe purchase some more of this. Um, it's been a steady performer over the past three years, and now with the formation of the uh, new Space Force and NASA's exploration aspects and our current political climate. I'm kind of wondering what you think of this stock. I'll tell you, the Robert, company, I've been genuinely surprised that it hasn't taken off more. It's a really good company, as you mentioned. It does not have the support, enough analysts writing on it. I think getting in ahead of that is a very good idea. You've got a winner there. Let's go to John in New Jersey.
1: Please, John. Booyah, Jim. I'd be remiss if I don't take my condolences for the Eagles, but if it makes you feel better, I'm a Jets fan.
3: Well, but- I just hope Carson Wentz feels better. That's all I care about.
1: What's up? Yes, definitely. He's a tough guy. Okay, my stock is Newcore. Um, I, I own a, you know, I own what I can. I have about twenty five hundred dollars in it. I bought in July at fifty six, and then again in August at fifty. I want to know your feelings going forward. We have earnings coming. I know the macro picture affects it, both trade war, uh, possible, you know, with the election and so forth like that. I want to know your feelings on Newcor. Is it an own? Uh, or a trade, or what? what is it? It is
3: definitely not a trade. It is an own. I don't believe in buy and hold. I believe in buy and homework. If you do the homework on Nucor, you'll see that they've never had a tough time when all the other steel makers have. But that's why it is the blue chip of the industrial steel makers. 3% yield, safe yield. That's the one. Keep buying it. Keep owning it. If you think you need a defensive playbook, well, you have to be ready for the market to get hit in the short term, but these are your go-to asset elements, okay? And again, I say that this portfolio could actually make you money. We're not not—we're not profiteers, but that could make you money. Much more mad money ahead. Axon is up over 180% of the past few years, but could its drop today be a red flag or a buying opportunity? I've got the CEO. Then a retail call that could surprise you. I'll reveal it and tell you what it could mean for your wallet and all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round so stay with kramer
5: tomorrow kick off the trading day with squawk on the street live from post nine at the nyse Can you take a look at a 20 year on this when
3: they were dominant, do you remember, at the turn of the century? Oh, my God. Before Apple had an iPhone, obviously, yeah. quite a... Quite it was... A qu- there we go. Look at that. Well, this is when we thought it Look was a telco company. Point. This is yeah. when we
5: realized it was a river in Finland. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
3: All right, what do we make of this small pullback in Axon Enterprises' stock? That's the company formerly known as Hazard International. In recent years, Axon's transitioned from a supplier of non-lethal weapons into more of an evidence capture play for law enforcement. They sell audio recorders, body cameras, and the software you need to manage all the digital evidence. Well, let's just say it's an ecosystem. It's no longer one famous trick pony. That strategy shift was brilliant, which is why the stock's been able to rally 180% over the past three years. We've been big fans of this story the whole way up. But last week, Axon's... Stuck, it hit a wall. On Friday, we learned that the Federal Trade Commission wants the company to divest V-View. That's a police body camera maker that it acquired in 2018. Not only does the FTC want V-View spun off, but get this, they also want Axon to hand over its technology in order to help get this new competitor off the ground. News say Axon's not too thorough about this, which is why they're suing the FTC to prevent the divestiture. Stocks now pulled back from 76 to 69 since the story broke. And while VVU isn't a huge part of the business, the FTC wrangling has added some uncertainty here. So let's take a closer look with Rick Smith, the founder and CEO of Axon Enterprise, to learn more about how his company's doing what this dispute with the FTC might mean for shareholders. Mr. Smith, welcome back to Mid Money. Awesome. Good to see you, Rick. Have a seat. Okay, before we get to how well business is, because it's pretty darn good, Um, Can you explain to me why the FTC is upset that
1: you bought a company that looked like it might go out of business if you haven't bought it? We are uh, scratching our heads trying to figure that out. We we acquired VVU for about $7 million plus some earnouts, less than 1% of our market cap. And they were losing money hand over fist. They had three days of cash on hand and no source of funding. Uh, So we bought them to step in and make sure that the customers they were servicing – wouldn't get interrupted, and that we could build those relationships long term. Well, uh, even with that small amount of revenue, they did have some good customers. They did, they did. Uh, in fact, the reason they were going out of business, they'd signed a deal with the NYPD that was uh, pretty challenging for them, it was right. leading to huge cash flow problems. Okay, so let me understand this.
3: Uh, how can they have it both ways, the FTC? How can they say, "Look, you've got to give up all this technology," but we also recognize that the company was going to, f- you know, could fail without you? I thought there's an exception. A fail exception. If you think there's a company that's
1: about to go under,
3: you're allowed to buy it.
1: Yeah, there is a failing safe harbor, and we believe that applies. Uh, Obviously, the FTC has indicated they don't agree, and that's one of the reasons we filed preemptively in federal court so we could get this in front of a federal judge. Okay, so the market is saying that this is going to hurt earnings uh, if you don't get to keep them, and you have to fund them, which is pretty odd. Uh, Do we have to worry about earnings estimate cuts? Uh, You know, it's a little early to say, but I would say, unlike most companies at Axon, we litigate a lot because we make police equipment. So we have a full time litigation team and they are spectacular. And uh, I'm excited to see the work they've done on this case. And we're excited to take it to court. All right. Well, look, one of the things that we did, and I think you know this, we came out hard recommending your
3: stock when you came out with a compensation plan that was so aligned with shareholders. I never seen anything like it before. Uh, Tell us what it was and how it's worked.
1: Yep. So uh, about two years ago, we came out with a compensation plan where I moved to uh, effectively zero pay, but it's minimum wage in Arizona. Right. Right. And uh, basically, I earn tranches of stock as the company hits some pretty large milestones. Now, we haven't hit any of them yet because this is a pretty aspirational plan over the next 10 years. But I think we're on our way. Well, now, I think that your mission is very
3: clear. Uh, Obsolete the bullet reduce social conflict, enable a fair and effective justice system. To me, that seems like uh, so compelling. Why would anyone use anything else?
1: Uh, you know, when, when people test our products, we have a very high win rate because right. we're so mission driven. I think our team just really builds great products. Well, where's the objection? Give me the objection to that that you hear. Uh, well, I think the, uh, the FTC's uh, you know, objection here was that, you know, we have a strong presence in the market. Right. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, they took some issue with us. No, but, uh, like, what, what's up- the
3: police? Uh, oh, what are, what are they?
1: Who wouldn't want this is what I'm saying, given the fact that there is such civil strife in urban areas. Uh, uh, we're seeing a massive shift in policing towards body cameras. You, you know, it, it's hard. You hardly meet a cop today that wants to go on patrol. Without a body camera, because it protects them and it protects the public. All right, so talk about Taser 7. What does that mean? So Taser 7 is our newest Taser. Um, Now, you know, as as we've talked about, our mission is to make the bullet obsolete. Right. Now, if we're going to get there, that means we have to make every generation of the Taser weapon more reliable, more effective, until within the next decade I've set the goal we're going to surpass the effectiveness of a handgun. Taser 7 is a step on the path where we've really improved clothing penetration and uh, upped the overall effectiveness of the device. Okay, so, uh, and if you had to fund this company that you currently own,
3: would they, have to, would they get some of that intellectual property? Would the government make you
1: not only give up this division— but fund it and give them the technology that you're talking about? Well, we don't think that this would apply to any of the taser weapons, but that's where we found this settlement uh, offer from the FTC so egregious that they wanted us not only to spin it off, but to write a, quote, blank check and to fund it with access to all of our camera and software intellectual property, which uh, we, we don't see any precedent for that sort of a demand. But is there precedent for a federal court? to overturn an FTC action, which is what you need. We believe so. Uh, So, look, if you get a speeding ticket, you you get to go to court, and the court will decide whether you or the officer are right. Right. Right? That's enshrined in the Constitution. turns out the FTC is a constitutional anomaly today, where they can sue you, not in court, but they bring you into the back halls of the FTC for an administrative process where they get to be judge, jury, prosecutor, and appeals court. And that's why we think if we can get this in front of a federal judge, which we did Friday, right. that the courts are going to take some umbrage with a federal agency usurping the role of the judiciary. Well, to me, when I read the papers, it sure did seem that you're on the right side. But I'm not the judge,
3: but it sure seems that, that uh, let's just say, it makes no sense what the FTC wants to do. That's Rick Smith. He's the founder and CEO of Axon Enterprise, a name that we are sticking with. We've been liking it for, geez, I don't know, I'm having a triple. Mad Money's back in It is time! It's time for the Lighting Round. And then the lightning Round is over. Are you ready, Ski skiing, over the lightning Round. We're start with John in Michigan. John.
4: Hey, Jim. Love the show. Uh, just wanted to know if a 5G play like Nokia.
3: Well, there was an upgrade today. And I have to tell you, I was joking around with David Faber a little bit. I thought it was premature. But you know what? I do believe that it is a decent value spec. I know that sounds like it's a little contrary, but value spec, given the fact how low it is, but Huawei is crushing them. Mike in Connecticut. Mike!
4: Jim, thanks for taking my call. I'm a longtime viewer and a many times caller. Thank you. Um, sorry about the Eagles this weekend. That yeah. was a tough one.
3: It was. It was tough. Hey,
4: my question is, uh, recently I bought a small position in snapping. Inc. Um, and with all the good things I've been reading about it, the fact that they're closing the gap, the revenue and the losses. Right. Is this is tech stock. Should I buy more? Or no, I no.
3: I am bullish on Snap, but you don't need to buy any more here. Uh, it just went up on a spike, but I am bullish because there's just not enough social media plays around. Let's go to Carol in New York. Carol. Hey Jim, my stock's a trading platform company, and I've been wondering what would be affecting it. Competition? The environment? Nothing. What do you think we might see in the next, say, six months or so for MKTX? You know, I like market access. I've had Rick Buffay on the show several times. I think it's absolutely terrific. I think that what's happened is a lot of the high price earnings, multiple stocks went too high and got burned. They're coming back. I would stay long it. Lewis in Florida. Lewis. Lewis. Lewis, you're on with Jim. Hey, Jim. How you doing, Jim? I am doing well. All how right. about you, Lewis? I'm doing good. Booyah to you. ATT stock. Do I buy more? Or I am I a got? believer in ATT. I am a believer in the story that Elliott Partners tells. I think it is a good situation to own. I need to go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Jim, first off, I'm really sorry about your Eagles. Yeah, that was birds. a tough one. The birds. Uh, I've got a stock Enphase. I currently have a position in it. Should I be adding to it's it? It's very speculative solar power thought. solutions. Now, look, I did come around to Tesla, and I came around even also to their solar power business. So I can't say you got to sell Enphase, but I do think it's gotten uh, very pricey. I know that the stock's chart is fabulous. How about Frank in New Jersey? Frank! Jim, hi. Hi. Several weeks ago, I saw you interview the uh, CEO
1: of Natera, NTRA. I liked what I heard, bought the stock the next day, and with today's exception, the stock was down almost every day to about 10% or so. I know. Uh, should I hold? Should I hold or yes, I it's a
3: diagnostics company that I thought made a pretty good case for itself. Uh, I, I, I don't think you should cut and right here. Let's go to Ed New York. Ed. Yes, Jim. Hi, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Great to hear your voice. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, I was inquiring about a stock by the name of Ameren, symbol A-M-R-N. Closed at 21 this evening. You week. know what? This thing's been a rocket ship. We think it has more to go. A lot of good research out there. I uh, read it to Ben Stoto and I were going over it this very morning. It's okay. Let's go to Mark in Kansas. Mark.
0: Hey, Jim. A big booyah from Topeka, Kansas. Good to have you.
1: Hey uh, Roku, I bought it at uh, when it dropped
0: back from high of 170 at 160, then again at 140. Should you I stick with it or? Well,
3: I you know I've switched over to liking Trade Desk more, but that stock's just up six bucks too. If you buy Roku or you buy Trade Desk, you have to understand you're not coming in early. You're coming in potentially late. But I'm not going to fight you because of the cord-cutting issue. And that's what's driving those stocks. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round
2: is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: We just got the mother of all contrarian calls from J.P. Morgan's Matthew Boss. The best retail analyst in the business. Now, if you're not familiar with Boss, he does a ton of field work to figure out how individual retailers are doing. And right now, the field work's coming up with some pretty shocking results. According to Boss, 76% of the department stores and specialty soft line retailers in his coverage universe should be able to meet or beat expectations. And that includes down and out chains like Macy's, Kohl's. Even Nordstrom, which has been a huge underperformer. Now, Boss believes it can post a relatively very strong quarter. This is, this is almost heresy, people. If Boss is right about these retailers, that, that could produce a staggering short squeeze in their stocks. Because so many of these names have been written off and left for dead and heavily shorted. Wall Street figured they just couldn't compete with the likes of Amazon, Walmart, and Target. Let's just take Nordstrom, JWN. Uh, Here's a stock that's underperforming the S&P 500 by more than 40% over the last year. We know the mall is hurting, but Boss points out that 95% of Nordstrom stores are located in grade A malls. That's what's held up. As for e-commerce, it's coming on strong. Nordstrom also has accelerating free cash flow. While he, he says it's still a show me story, he thinks the risk reward has changed here. He thinks it's looked very attractive because he started to see signs of structural change. North Swim Sports a 3.6% yield, and boss projects that it can deliver 2.3% sales growth. Wall Street's only looking for 1.6%. Ah, wow, that'll ignite this stock. What else? Oh boy, here you ready for this one? Uh boss has a sell rating on Macy's. But he still raises same-store sales by a percentage point. He says Macy's offers incremental upside. My view? Don't forget that the stock yields 8.8% here, and the balance sheet keeps improving. Still, the most intriguing of these department store chains is Kohl's, KSS, which we own for my charitable trust. According to Boss, their same-store sales could grow by as much as 1.5%. Hey, Wall Street's only looking for 0.4%. In other words, he thinks Kohl's can meet or beat these streets at earnings estimates, which is not done in ages. Given the company's dismal recent performance, that would be a shock in and of itself. The company has a partnership with Amazon where you can return goods to Amazon by dropping them off at Kohl's. It's apparently working very well. That's uh, also what my totally unscientific survey on Twitter had to say. Plus, it doesn't hurt that Kohl's pays you a juicy 4- 5.4% yield. Judging by the balance sheet, that dividend is pretty darn safe. Now, you have to understand, Boss's bullish view is totally and completely out of sync with what the rest of Wall Street's saying about retail. We keep hearing from lots of other analysts who tell us this was the most promotional, that's a curse word, holiday season in ages. They fret about the shortened period between Thanksgiving and Christmas last year. The conventional wisdom says that these department stores are facing shortfalls across the board. Yet, boss is talking about a robust holiday season. What's driving the strength? Well, he singles out the strong labor market, lowest unemployment in 50 years, as a spur to retail. Uh, Still, when I read the piece, I I have to admit I was somewhat skeptical. We've been selling coals for my charitable trust, expecting it to cut and tell us how horrible their Christmas was at any moment. But you know what? We stopped selling coals the minute I read this piece. Why do I believe, Boss? Because these down-and-out retailers are down-and-out for a reason. Terrible execution. It's not that the consumer's weak, which means these problems could be fixable and should be fixable. If any of these pan out, you could get a rocket ship effect. Also, or you could say positive pin action, with Nordstrom being the best way to play the holiday season renaissance. You know what? Given Matthew Boss's record, I think you'd be crazy, crazy to bet against Stick with Crane. Tonight on the season premiere of American Greed, meet the wealthy Saudi Prince who promises king-sized returns to its investors. But there's just one problem. He's a fake! See how he rakes in millions in his royal scam, only to be undone by his unholy appetite. 10 o'clock on CNBC. Alright, what a turnaround today. Down from 200 Dow points all the way up 60. Now, how does that happen? The turn is such that I think it was a little glib, but you know what? We have new money coming in because last week was a vacation week, and maybe they just put it to work on the first day. Why am I being a little more skeptical? Because we're up 30% last year, for heaven's sake. Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you tomorrow.